Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, you can also listen live across the Faith Radio Network Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central or 12 Eastern for the entire hour. And if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Welcome today to the Jeremiah Johnson Show. This is your host, Jeremiah. I'm so excited to have you joining us across the Faith Radio Network. And again, friends, I want to welcome those of you listening both in the Central and Eastern Time Zone. And I also want to give a warm welcome uh, to those of you who are listening to this broadcast via podcast. I received a very, very touching text message uh, from a good friend of mine, a prayer warrior. He's listening on 88.5 FM, Signal 2 in, K- in Kansas City on the Faith Radio Network, and he's currently undergoing, he's actually just finished, 10 radiation treatments for brain cancer. And do you know what he wrote to me? He said, Dr. Johnston, thank you so much for your podcast that's strengthening my faith. And he said, I know with Christ I just can't lose. And so if you'll just join me in offering prayers for my good friend Don in Kansas City for his healing, for his strength. And Don, I'm delighted that you're finding this show uh, to be a resource for you that will encourage and strengthen your faith in the midst of your adversity. God bless you, brother. Thank you for encouraging me with this note. And all of you who are joining us, I want you to know I'm actually holding in my hand right now uh, the Korean language version of my book, Unanswered Lasting Truth for Trending Questions. I was delighted recently to get a tweet uh, from a Korean Twitter account saying, Thank you so much, Dr. Johnston. I just finished reading your book in Korean. And it's just fascinating. It uses some similar colors, but it actually has a keyhole on the front of it that's die cut. Uh, essentially like you're unlocking the answers in Korean. And I'm even fascinated to read and see my name as it appears in Korean. Isn't this a delight? I mean, the, the, the Bible says in Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And friends, I cannot tell you the fulfillment it is to know that we are seeing this happen through the ministry of Christian Thinker Society, the gospel going out to the ends of the earth through the ministry that God has given us to informed, articulate faith, contending for the faith as the Bible tells us to do in Jude. And if you want to know more about Unanswered in Korean, just check out my social media account. Be sure and connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, Friends, we have a great program in store for you. I have waiting on hold Professor J.P. Moreland, one of the finest Christian thinkers in the world. In fact, he's been called one of the top 20 philosophers in the world. So we're going to be talking about his brand new book on scientism. I'm taking your questions at askjjj.com. We've got a great show in store for you today. Stay with us. I'll be back in 90 seconds with my good friend, Professor J.P. Moreland. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. And friends, I'm so excited about today's discussion because on the phone with us from the West Coast is one of the most preeminent Christian philosophers in the world. I'm not the only one who thinks this. This is 
known literally throughout the academic guild that Professor J.P. Moreland, one of the most influential, articulate, passionate Christian apologists, he is a choice instrument of God. He's a professor at Biola and Talbot Seminary. He's an accomplished author, editing and authoring over 90 books, if you can imagine that. But what is so excellent about Professor Moreland's ministry, not only in the academic vein, but also in the popular vein, he has one of those unique abilities to make very complex ideas totally understandable. So for the moms out there that are listening to our broadcast and for people out there that think, oh, I need some prerequisites, you don't. Professor Moreland does such a brilliant job at answering the tough questions, and that's what this broadcast is all about. This is the show that gives you permission to ask the difficult questions of Christianity because if everything we say is true about the Christian faith, guess what? It can withstand your deepest, darkest questions. Well, Professor Moreland, it is a delight to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Well, I am absolutely overjoyed to be with you, and uh, thanks for inviting me. Professor Moreland, you are an accomplished author, but you have said that perhaps the most important or influential book is the one that has just come out, published by Crossway. Of course, I'm talking about your newest book, Scientism and Secularism, Learning How to Respond yeah. to This Dangerous Ideology. Why now, in, your, in this stage of your career, but why is this the most important? Well, it is knowledge that gives people the authority to act and to speak in public. It isn't belief or feelings or anything else. For example, uh, we give dentists the authority to talk about uh, teeth and uh, molars, and we give them the authority to act in certain ways in our mouths because we presume that they have the requisite knowledge that gives them that authority. Uh, if my dentist said to me, well, look, I have a bunch of very deeply held feelings about molars. I don't know anything about them, but I, I, I really firmly have beliefs. Well, he's not getting anywhere near my mouth. And um, <laughs> uh, so what's happened is that, as Barna demonstrated in a recent study, uh, they identified the six top reasons why people are leaving Christianity for atheism or just leaving the church. And they were all, believe it or not, about intellectual issues, about doubts, not being free to ask questions. Mm. One of the six was that the church was not helping believers think about what to do with the findings of modern science. And so there, there, there is an ideology, Jeremiah, that I am trying to address uh, called scientism that is at the very foundation of the marginalization of Christianity and the relativism that we're seeing. And that's why I wrote about it. Well, this is such a powerful term, and I want to make sure that everyone understands, because if you have a son or daughter who is at the local university or college or junior college, or if you're just watching the news, or if you're one of those individuals that allows social media to educate you, or God forbid the media to educate you, you're going to come across this term scientism. It is a dogma, isn't it, Professor Moreland? Can you just unpack oh, a little is. bit it more about the scientism? fundamental dogma of Western culture. And it basically is the idea that the only way we can gain knowledge of reality or the vastly superior way of gaining knowledge of reality 
is through the hard sciences, chemistry, physics, and so on. If you can't prove something uh, in physics or chemistry or through the hard sciences, then it can't be known. Uh, so what that means is, I mean, I, by the way, I've, I've witnessed to people many times, and they've said, well, you can't prove God scientifically. Uh, and th they're expressing scientism, that that medical doctors have more authority than pastors, because mm. medical doctors actually know something, because their their claims are based on things that have been tested in the hard sciences. Pastors don't know anything. They're sharing emotions and private opinions and blind faith commitments. And so what scientism has done is it in, in limiting knowledge to the hard sciences, it is bequeathed to the scientists the authority to speak about what is and isn't real hmm. and what is true and what is not and what we can know and what we can't know. The result is that the humanities, and importantly, uh, theological, religious claims, ethical claims just cannot be known one way or the other. So they're actually just a matter of personal uh, feelings and, and opinions. And so in, the, in my book, Scientism and Secularism, I try to show the devastating I, – I clearly define this and try to show the devastating implications that it has in leading toward moral relativism – because nobody can know what's right morally, according to scientism, then if you force your values on other people, you're being intolerant. But no one says if you force your chemistry, uh, you know, water's H2O, that you're legislating chemistry. Why? Because we know chemistry, but you can't know morality because you can only know what can be tested scientifically. This is so powerful, and again, my guest today on the Jeremiah Johnston Show is Professor J.P. Moreland. We're talking about his new book that's just been released on scientism. You want to have this book in your library. I want to encourage you to go to Amazon and buy it right now because this is an issue that's not going away, is it, Professor Moreland? I mean, I want you to talk about no, how prevalent it is. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, it's uh, crept into the public schools all the way down into... Uh, upper elementary school. Uh, I've met kids who've said that um, this kind of thing was actually stated by one of their teachers. People might not know the name scientism, but there's this prevailing attitude that religious claims just aren't factual, and even if they are, we couldn't know they were. And, and so the fundamental issue today is not just truth but it's whether we can know that God exists, whether we can know that there are certain things that are right and wrong, whether we can know Jesus rose from the dead and there's life after death. And the prevailing uh, drift in Western culture, scientism says that none of these things can be known because they can't be proven scientifically. And that's what led to the secularization of Europe and exactly. and my dear friend, we are not far behind, and scientism has got to be addressed, and we must teach our our you know, our kids why they believe what they believe instead of just what to believe. 
Professor Moreland, I want to ask your opinion on something, because in my book, Unimaginable, What the World Would Be Like Without Christianity, I delved into this, and I use this term, scientism, scientistic, but it's my belief, and I actually checked this out with Rodney Stark at Baylor when I shared there about the book, that it was scientism, Now I want to be very careful, I'm not saying all scientists, but I'm saying it was a scientism dogma that literally gave racism a comeback in the time of enlightenment and then beyond and then ultimately in the 19th and 20th century with the fab five of the philosophical community. What would you say to that as it relates that we can easily, do you believe we can go easily from scientism to racism to inequality? Oh yeah, very easily. Um, and there are a lot of, there are a lot of connections between scientism and racism uh, one of them would be, uh, the, given that it is only scientific theories that really carry authority and give us knowledge, then um, Darwinism was used to say that uh, certain races were uh, genetically and uh, adaptationally inferior, mm -hmm. and it was actually used uh, in the eugenics movement uh, to weed out the population and uh, of those that are not contributing to the gene pool. So it was a uh, uh, scientism was actually undergirding Nazi Germany uh, in their uh, justification of uh, eugenics and so on. So yes, the other thing is that um, to tell the truth, if scientism is true. Uh, then um, right make, uh, might makes right. There's no moral authority any longer because we can't know the difference between what's really right or not. And so power becomes uh, the substitute for authority. And there you have jostling for political power, and you, there that, that justifies the dominant classes uh, uh, to uh, continue to manipulate those that aren't the dominant classes. And so those are just two ways, but you're, I'm sure you know more about that than I do, but absolutely you're right on the money on that. Friends, we're talking to Professor J.P. Moreland, incredible scholar, amazing world-class philosopher. We're just getting started, and you can see why this is perhaps the most important, certainly perhaps the most influential book Professor Moreland has ever authored because it's speaking to issues that are so relevant. So we're going to take a 90-second break. Don't change the station because we're going to delve into this, but we're also going to talk practically about our kids and our grandkids, how we can help them inculcate a thinking faith. You're listening to The Jeremiah Johnson Show on Faith Radio Network. back at the Jeremiah Johnson Show. I'm your host, Jeremiah, and joining me today is Professor J.P. Moreland from Talbot Seminary, one of the world's top 50 philosophers. Professor Moreland, I'm so grateful for the ministry that you have and how relevant this book is that's just been released on scientism and secularism. What is the hope, though? Um, you're assessing, and you just did. If you missed it, friends, you're going to want to listen to it in the podcast as it's archived. 
This book has notes of hope, though. That's what I love about it. What can you say for the millennials? What can you say to the grandparents and the parents? I have five children, including triplet boys, Professor Moreland. Um, is there hope for my, my children's generation? And how can we inculcate a thinking faith with our children and our grandchildren? Well, there is hope, and and you're absolutely right. We have to uh, help them see the value of of learning why you believe something and i think it's it's easy to illustrate that with them that um if you know why you believe something then you have confidence in it and and when it comes to christianity or any other important belief they may have if they if they don't know why they believe it, then they will not be able to sustain confidence in the belief in the face of opposition. Uh, so if you have reasons for why you believe what you believe, then, then that's going to give you confidence and it will make you a strong person. It will make you a better friend uh, because you won't be defensive. And, and and so on. And, and and when it comes to scientism, scientism, it, the first problem with at least uh, the strong version of it is that it's self-refuting. <clears throat> now, uh, mm. something is self-refuting if it makes itself false. Like the statement, there are no statements longer than three words. Yeah. That statement is <laughs> itself longer than three words, and so it falsifies itself. There are no truths would be another example. Now, in scientism, I, I had a gentleman come up to me at, a, at an evangelistic event I was giving, and before the meeting he said, say, I understand you're a philosopher. And I said, well, I give it my best shot here. He said, yeah, I used to be interested in that kind of stuff when I was a teenager, but now that I've grown up and matured intellectually, I now have a Ph.D. in physics, and I realize that if you can't prove it and test it and quantify it in the laboratory, it's nothing but a bunch of hot air and idle opinion. Well, he mm. kept on going for about two minutes, and I stopped him and said, Sir, I, I've got a dilemma here, because you're claiming the only thing we can know is what can be tested in physics and chemistry and in the lab, and everything else is hot air, an idle opinion. Yeah, exactly, he said. Well, you've uttered 30, 30 or 40 statements that have come out of your mouth, and I can't think of a single one of them that could be tested and quantified in the laboratory. Mm -hmm. If I'm wrong, tell me which one it was, but you see my problem? If, I'm right, if that's right, then what you've been doing is spouting nothing but hot air and idle opinion for the last two minutes. That's right. The statement that, that you can only know what can be proven by the hard sciences is a, actually a, a statement of philosophy in the field called epistemology. It is not a statement of science. It's a statement about science, and it is self-refuting. That's one easy thing to keep in mind when somebody says, prove it scientifically. Well, I will say, can you prove scientifically that I need to prove something scientifically before exactly. I can know it. Mm, mm, this is powerful. So that's of a course. little handy thing. 
Friends, if you're just tuning in, my guest is Professor J.P. Moreland, eminent philosopher, incredible author, and a great gift to the church. And Professor Moreland, I have two questions that I've been excited to ask you, and I've fielded 10,000 text message questions. And I think my favorite chapter in your book, because I, I love bringing hope, and I really believe as Christians our job is to bring hope. Yes, to assess, as you've done but also to bring hope. And I love your chapter on five things scientism cannot explain. We don't have the time to get into all five, but one of them is germane to the question that I personally have for you that I'd love for you to explain to our audience. And and bear in mind, we have thousands of people listening right now across the faith spectrum. Some are baby Christians and some are single moms out there that really need hope. But I, I we also have hundreds of pastors and hundreds of Christian leaders who listen who I think will appreciate giving you time to answer what I'm about to ask. If you listen sure. to some physicalist, Professor Moreland, they claim that consciousness is an illusion and that the mental state is reducible to nothing more than a complex series of electrochemical actions and the like. Here's my question. What is the best evidence that consciousness is real and cannot be reduced to just or only exclusively the physical brain? Yes. Well, first of all, if consciousness is an illusion, an illusion is itself a state of consciousness. Uh, you, a non-conscious thing can't have illusions. Uh, robots can't have illusions. So uh, illusions are themselves states of consciousness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's not going to work. But the fundamental reason that consciousness cannot be reduced or identified with states of the brain is because conscious states have different properties than brain states. For example, there are various conscious states. Some of them are sensations, like uh, being aware of red or smelling a rose or tasting a lemon. Others are are thoughts. Mm. Others are beliefs. Others are desires for ice cream or to be a good father. Others are experiences of acting freely when I exercise my will. Now, these are all states of consciousness, And when I have a state of consciousness, like I'm thinking about lunch, let's say, or seeing a a, a rose, there will be a state going on in my brain, but they're not the same. Why? Well, uh, my my conscious state, uh, there is a what it is like to it. There there is a what it is like to smell Mm. a rose. There is a what it is like to desire ice cream and for every conscious state there is a what it is like to it but there is no what it is like to be negatively charged or to be a magnetic field or to be neurons firing there is no what it is like to be a neuron or a group of them firing but there is a what it is like to be me there is a what it is like to be a pain so they can't be the same thing secondly most of our mental states have what is called intentionality. They're about things. Uh, my thought is about London. My sensation is about the rose. But no brain state is about anything. They, that, uh, uh, intentionality is not among the properties of physics and chemistry and neuroscience. And so what, what you discover is, and also uh, thoughts and beliefs, for example, don't have geometrical properties. It doesn't make any sense to say 
uh, how big is a thought and um, what is its size and shape. But any brain state that's going on while I'm having a thought will have geometrical properties. And so I spoke at the National Institute of Health last mm. year. Mm. I was invited to give a lecture there to a group of about 120 neuroscientists and other research scientists, and I told them that the, that the nature of consciousness or whether there was a soul was something that neuroscience was completely irrelevant to. Wow. Uh, because these are philosophical questions. And and the, in the Q&A, they, nobody pushed back on me on that. Mm. And so the reason consciousness cannot be reduced to a brain state is that they have different properties, and so they can't be the same thing. One may cause the other. A brain state can cause me to feel pain. My thought can cause a certain brain state to occur, but that doesn't mean they're the same. Hmm. Hmm. I have a chapter on that, by the way, in uh, Scientism and Secularism. If that went by a little quickly to people, there's there's a whole chapter that sort of defends what I just said. And it's fabulous, and you also pick it up again in the five things that science cannot explain, scientism yeah, cannot do, explain. Yes. Uh, friends, this is the program that combines the best of scholarship with practical, thought-provoking discussion that answers your real-world questions. We've got to go to a break, but when we come back, I'm going to ask Professor Moreland if faith and science are at odds. We've been talking a lot about scientism, but we're going to talk a little bit about science and faith in the next segment, don't change that dial. Professor Moreland's with us for another segment. You're listening to The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Friends, welcome back to the program. I'm your host, Jeremiah. You're listening to Faith Radio Network. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast over at the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Thank you so much to all of you who are leaving such great reviews. I'm glad that you're finding this program to resource and equip your Christian life. And I see why when we have wonderful conversations with our guests like today, Professor J.P. Moreland from Talbot Seminary, one of the world's most preeminent philosophers, Professor Moreland, we've been talking in this program about scientism and scientistic thinking. However, I do receive this question frequently, and I would love to hear your perspective. Are faith and science at odds? And, you know, is every scientist an atheist or a naturalist? Uh, Well, no. There are so many Christians that are in the sciences, and this is just an established fact. And so... uh, uh, that that should bring great comfort to people uh, that that there are intelligent scientists who are believers in in the scriptures and they are believers because they're scientists um, and and faith and, and uh, science are not at, all, at odds at all. Um, I've been addressing scientism, but science is a wonderful gift. And uh, instead of talking about faith in science, uh, I would rather talk about uh, theological knowledge claims and scientific mm. knowledge claims. Mm. Uh, and so my question would be, are the, are the knowledge claims that theology makes uh, at odds with the knowledge claims that science makes? And I, I say in the book that 95% of science is completely irrelevant to theology and biblical Christianity in the sense that I don't care if methane has four 
hydrogen atoms are 50. Uh, I don't, it doesn't make any difference to me if water is H2O or H3O or if magnetic fields are interchangeable with electrical fields or not. I don't care. Uh, so I would say that 95% of scientific claims are just about something else and don't have anything to do with theological assertions. Of the remaining 5%, I'm going to guess 3% have actually supported uh, Christianity. Mm. Uh, we now know the universe had a beginning. We know that the universe is fine-tuned so life could appear. Uh, we know that uh, living things are constituted by information, and most and most uh, philosophers of science believe information is non-physical, and that's because it's fully present at different points in the body, and matter cannot be fully present in more than one place at the same time, and so on. So we, we've had archaeology, by the way, has repeatedly confirmed the scriptures, especially yes. the New Testament. Now, we do have about 2% that's raising problems. What's interesting to me, Jeremiah, is that this 2% does not raise objections against the existence of God or against the historical reliability and resurrection of the New Testament and its resurrection. They almost all raise questions about the early chapters of Genesis. Mm -hmm. And so uh, where science raises problems is with the inerrancy of Scripture and the uh, authenticity of the early chapters of Genesis. And so there is a legitimate place where science uh, claims and theological claims can come into conflict. And there have been various ways of resolving that. So, in summary, 95% are relevant, 3% helpful, 2% raises problems and conflict, but it usually has to do with the early chapters of Genesis. Tremendous. And friends, I'm listening to Professor J.P. Moreland, and we're discussing his newly released book, Scientism and Secularism, by, published by Crossway. Phenomenal, phenomenal book to add to your Christian library. And perhaps this is the first time you've been hearing about these terms. This is a book that you still should definitely add to your library. He's got an excellent glossary in the back of the book. And Professor Moreland, as you've been hearing, does such a great job explaining these concepts to us. Uh, Professor, I have another question for you, and um, I just yeah. have to share a little bit of context. My wife and I uh, were in Oxford, England, where I was pursuing my doctoral studies at Oxford Center of Mission Studies, where I was doing my residency, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart in a very clear way that the end game of my life was to launch something called Christian Thinkers Society. And being a Christian thinker, in my opinion, is not an oxymoron, although for some Christians, unfortunately, it can be at, some, at times. Um, yeah. You said something uh, I heard once upon a time that, that greatly encouraged me, and I've never forgotten it, and I've quoted you many times since. We have lost the concept of Jesus as an intellectual person. Can you talk about that for a moment in our touchy-feely over-emotional age, um, and I, I remember how you used this when you discussed the Made in America cults and religions as well. I, I want to hear you discuss it on my show, if you would. Yeah, so uh, you can't follow somebody if you don't think they know what they're talking about. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You, you have somebody that's uh, running around and, and, and uh, 
vying for office, and if you know they don't have a clue what they're talking about, you're going to disregard them. Well, Jesus, if if we come to think of him as this sweet, loving person, and but but he really wasn't very smart. Uh, he didn't really know what he was talking about. Then when it comes push comes to shove, we're going to have sex before marriage instead of yep. thinking maybe maybe Jesus actually knew what he was talking about, and it's a good idea to wait. And so I think it's very important to realize that Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived. I'm not suggesting that when he was incarnate that he tapped into everything he knew. Uh, I believe that he repressed a lot of what he knew and relied upon uh, the Spirit and, and so on. But Jesus was a very brilliant man. He spoke with knowledge and authority about human human functioning, the nature of human beings, uh, about uh, the ethical life, and about uh, the nature of the spiritual journey. And, and these were things that, that Jesus spoke on with authority. So I think it's very important not to just have him this little thing on the dashboard of your car um, like a rabbit's foot. Jesus Christ was a very smart person. That's why when Jesus says there's a soul, I I, I lock that in. And and then I go to my philosophy to see, does this really bear out if I look at the best arguments against it? And it turns out – that it does, and Jesus' words can be trusted because he knew what he was talking about. So powerful, Professor Moreland. Um, I have two more questions I'd like to ask you, and friends, thank you so much for joining us on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. My guest today is Professor J.P. Moreland. We've been discussing his newest book, Scientism and Secularism. Professor Moreland, I ask all of my guests here on this program a, a question that um, you know, because I believe vulnerability is the new superpower in reaching people today. I think it's okay to be vulnerable. Um, yes. What is the most difficult unanswered question that perhaps you have dealt with, or is there a question you're just you just know you're going to have to wait to ask God someday when you get to heaven, or perhaps you've already yeah. answered yes, it? Sir. Would you talk about that a little bit? Uh, yes, there 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 is one, and it is why God is a no show. When it seems like it would be in his best interest to show up, and it would be in his people's best interest. So you, you pray for a little child in your church that's suffering cancer, and you pray for a year, and not only is this little child dying, but he's in excruciating pain, and God doesn't do anything. And the, the, those are tough for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I cannot not believe in God. I have too much evidence, and I have to yes. give all that evidence up, and so I can't not believe. Believe, but what it does is it makes it 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 can thwart my desire to pray, because I'm thinking, what's the point? You know, God mm-hmm. God's a no-show. Some you know, too many of the times. Now the good news is that I've seen miraculous answers to prayer and i've and i've seen healings in our church and so i know these things happen but that's that's a tough one uh Mm. for me i I don't get it uh i don't know this is why 28 percent of the psalms are laments they're complaining against god about why he didn't seem to keep his covenant and (laughs) why he didn't show up now eventually you know you regain your sanity but 
and you know God knows what he's doing. But for a while there, I, you go through times where you think, what in the world are you thinking up there? <laughs> and you, I think it's uh, thank you for thank you for your vulnerability to share that. And I, I, I often think of Jesus because in my time pastoring, I'll never be able to explain this side of heaven. And again, I don't mean this with any spirit of judgmentalism to anyone else, but why some of the finest Christians in my church seem to go too quickly. They just died too quickly. Yeah. I mean, these were the godliest. Yeah. You know, it, I, I struggled it. with that. And, and, then, and then I think of Jesus, because my area of expertise is the, is the resurrection. I'm a historical Jesus scholar. Yeah. But I, I find it fascinating that Jesus weeps when he hears Lazarus has died, even though he knows he's going to go raise them from the dead and so there's a very human element to the suffering that we all go through well there's so much more we can discuss we only have time for one more question and professor Moreland, i also would just value your opinion in this because uh, my passion at christian thinker society and in apologetics in general is to answer the questions that people are actually asking today about our faith i think so often and i speak to my own my own guilt and in, in it as well in seminary or in higher education, we're often often answering questions not people yes. are not really that concerned about. Um, and I've been right. educated not by a terminal education, but by just getting out there and speaking. I've been amazed and overwhelmed about the amount of questions I receive at the intersection of faith and mental illness. What have you yes. learned in your experience? You're a great philosopher. You've studied the life of the mind. Can you take some time to encourage our listeners who may think that they're a second-rate Christian because maybe some pastor told them they can't be depressed and be a Christian, or 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 they're just struggling? Yes. Can you can you cast shed some light on it? Yes, yes. I've actually uh, a genetic predisposition towards general anxiety disorder. I inherited from my mom, and I've had two nervous breakdowns. Uh, one lasted seven months in 2003, and one lasted five months where I had to stop teaching uh, in 2013. And I decided that I did not want this to happen to me again. And so I've, I did research, and I've developed a set of spiritual practices along with medication. I'll say a mm -hmm. word about that in a minute. And I've got a book coming out with Zondervan called Finding Peace. Oh, uh, in May that talks about my journey through anxiety and depression. And I have struggled terribly with it, but I've, I'm at a point now where I've been able to work through it. And I have been filled with joy and peace for over three and a half years, and yet I've had seven surgeries in that time. I've had wow. chemotherapy, radiation, three different cancers, and um, anxiety and depression are things that you can get through and Amen. it's not something to be ashamed of medication if a doctor recommends it can is not something to be embarrassed about it's it's you're a, you're an embodied being and it's uh it's food it's vitamins for the brain and it's a part of the I would never rely on medication only but I think it's a good thing to use along with Amen. good counseling and, and, and learning some spiritual habits like training yourself to be half full instead of half empty, uh, that, that those can be helpful. Mm, so powerful because truly uh, we have to define it, don't we? I mean, physical, it is a physical it, dysfunction of the brain when we struggle. And 
You might find this interesting, and I have the pastor's permission to share this. I was speaking in, in Santa Cruz at a large church there, Saint, uh, uh, Twin Lakes Church in Santa Cruz, a great church. Uh, and it was a summit on mental health. And when I got done speaking on Church of the Invisible Diseases, the pastor who had been there more than 20 years stood up and said, I want all of you to know I've been on an antidepressant for the last 10 years. As you're, and I mean, this is a church that runs 6,000. Oh, and when oh, he oh. admitted that, when he, when he was willing to be vulnerable and take his mask off and say, I'm struggling too, it was almost yes. like a revival broke out in the church oh, at that it. moment. Uh, oh, so, hello. Uh, so, you uh, bet, buddy. I, I so appreciate men like you, and I'm, I'm excited for this book on peace that you've coming out with Zondervan. We've run out of time, but Professor Moreland, will you come back? And I hope, I hope when your next book comes out on finding peace, can you come back to the program and can we discuss it? It would be such an honor. I've enjoyed your company a great deal. Well, thank you, Professor Moreland. Friends, uh, stay, don't change that dial. I'm going to come back with some concluding thoughts on the other side of this break. I'll be back with you in a moment. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I'm your host, Jeremiah, taking your questions now through askjjj.com. And remember, you can always submit those to us, even if you're listening after the fact in the podcast and have your question read on the air in a future program. I received this question from Les. Thank you, uh, Les, for your question. The subject is Jesus, the atoning sacrifice for sin. Dr. Johnston, when Jesus set his face to Jerusalem for the passion and his death, had the Jews accepted him as they did on Palm Sunday and believed he was the Messiah, would his death on the cross to atone for all of mankind's sins been required? This is an excellent question, Les. I appreciate you asking it. And the answer is yes, absolutely. Jesus' death on the cross is what was always required, even if all of the Jews had accepted him. And it wouldn't be right to say that all of the Jews did accept him on Palm Sunday. Um, I want to just give you some important history to this important question, Les, and all those who are, of you who are listening right now. Jesus was not the only guy who came on the scene in the first century claiming to be somebody special, claiming to be um, this unique Messiah, Son of God. I want to make that very clear. There were other messianic pretenders in the first century during the time that we read about in the New Testament who came on the scene saying that they were special. In fact, we know of at least 10 messianic pretenders from the first century, that is the first hundred years of the common era of individuals in and around Jerusalem who claimed to be the Messiah. I think of the anonymous Samaritan. He lived from 26 to 36 AD. That's when he was claiming to be uh, the messianic pretender that he was. There's one that you may remember called Thudist, uh, who during the years of AD 44 to 46, he talks about the fact that he had this following. He, in fact, Luke is the one who tells us about it. In Acts 5:36, he had a following of about 400 men. Uh, Luke also uh, mentions this other imposter in Acts 21:38, the anonymous Egyptian, and we hear about him from other sources as well. He had 4,000 followers out in the desert. There's another one by the name of Jonathan the Refugee, AD 70 to 79. So the important thing that I want you to know, Les, is that Jesus is not the only one who claimed to be someone special. 
But Jesus, always central in his mind, whether all the Jews had accepted him or not, was the fact that he had to give his body as a sacrifice. Mark 8.31, Mark 9.31, Mark 10.33 and 34, Jesus predicts his forthcoming violent death and also his resurrection on the third day. Um, and it's very important. Jesus foreshadows this with his resurrection miracles that he performs. He does three resurrection miracles in the Gospels. But then he says, the Jews asked for a sign. I'm going to give them one sign, my resurrection from the dead. So the atonement, Jesus personally taking on human flesh, the incarnation, it was all for the express purpose of going to the cross of Calvary. And so, friends, I want to remind you in this season of Thanksgiving In this season of giving, let us never forget it took a body. It took a special sacrifice for your sin and for mine. And it was Jesus who wasn't a messianic pretender. He was the real deal. And he backed it up with the one evidential thing that is absolutely unimpeachable. It was the resurrection of his physical body back from the dead. And so, Les, thank you so much for this question. I really appreciate it. It's a great question for us to ponder. It's a great question to discuss and think about theologically. I'm going to be back, though, in 90 seconds with some final thoughts on today's program. And don't forget, if you missed any of the previous interview with J.P. Moreland, you can go back and you can listen to that by subscribing to the Jeremiah Johnston podcast. I'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I'm your host, Jeremiah, and I just want to again express my gratitude to Professor J.P. Moreland for his excellent discussion on scientism. And wow, I'll never forget uh, that final segment we had where Professor Moreland discussed his own personal battle uh, with anxiety and depression. I'm delighted about his new book coming out, Peace with Zondervan. I'm so excited, uh, Professor JP, to have you back to discuss that, something we all need more of, peace. I do want to jump to another question. This is from Dan. Uh, submitted through askjjj.com. Before I state my question, I want to give a quick overview. I currently consider myself to be an atheist as I do not know of any evidence for God, yet am not so close-minded as to think that I know everything in that regard now and can move on. Therefore, I like discussing beliefs with people from different backgrounds and or religions. Uh, And he goes through some others. Uh, So my question is, do you accept call-ins like that, or are you more akin to having talks with like-minded people? Sincerely, Dan. No, Dan, I would love for you to call in so we can discuss the evidence for the existence of God. Uh, Just be ready. Uh, This is something that I have studied in and experienced myself, so I would love to talk to you. I'm sure you have as well. Uh, No, this program is to have conversations with everybody. There's no question that's off limits. We love to discuss the fact um, that there are people who claim to be atheists and agnostics and why. I love getting not only to the reason, but really the reason behind the reason. So, uh, Dan, at any time, you can call us 877-933-2484. Or don't forget, you can leave me a voicemail as well uh, that we can play on the air in a later broadcast. And you can just simply go to ChristianThinkers.com and you can see our ministry phone number. Just call in and don't forget, leaving a voicemail means that we have your permission uh, to play your voicemail on a future broadcast. This is a nationally syndicated program, so be sure and share your question clearly, concisely. That really helps us and our wonderful producer, Nat, who puts it all together. Uh, friends, this has been a great program. I thank you so much for your involvement in the show today. And don't forget, we have 
up many other guests who I've interviewed, all kinds of interesting discussions we've had. So if this is the first time you've heard the Jeremiah Johnson Show, just simply go to the archive on the website. You can just Google the Jeremiah Johnson Show. It'll bring you to MyFaithRadio.com where you can see uh, all the blogs that we produce. Every single broadcast is a blog that goes with it where you can share it on your social media as well. So be sure and subscribe to the podcast as well. Tell your friends about it. Share it. And know that I am praying for you. And don't forget, you can connect with me on and receive my regular email through ChristianThinkers.com. See you next time on The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from The Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you. So if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. And to avoid missing future editions of The Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play, RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.